We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Senator Bill Dodd. Elected in 2016 to represent California's 3rd Senate District, Senator Bill Dodd is a fifth-generation Californian and lifelong resident of the district, where he grew up on a small family farm in Napa County. The, The district includes all of Napa and Solano counties and portions of Contra Costa, Sacramento, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. Senator Dodd serves as the chair of the Governmental Organizational Committee and is a member of the Transportation Committee, the Energy, Utilities, and Communications Committee, and the Insurance Committee. He is co-chair of the Senate Select Committee on California's Wine Industry and the Legislative Delta Caucus. His work in the Senate has spanned many topics, from improving public education to protecting seniors and the environment. He is one of the legislature's most prolific legislators, authoring 67 laws in the last five years. As a senator representing wildfire-torn Napa and Sonoma counties, he co-chaired the 2018 Conference Committee on Wildfire Safety and Prevention and authored numerous bills that were signed into law to protect Californians from future infernos and accompanying utility rate hikes. Prior to his election in the Senate, Senator Dodd represented the 4th Assembly District, In the Assembly, he worked to help small businesses, protect the environment, and support seniors and working families. He advanced a balanced, sustainable budget that invests in our education system from preschool through higher education. He helped establish the state's earned income tax credit, promote career technical education, and created the Berryessa Snow Mountain National Monument, preserving over 330,000 acres of the California coast ranges in Napa, Yolo, Solano, Lake, Calusa, Glen, and Mendocino counties. Before the assembly, Senator Dodd served on the Napa County Board of Supervisors for 14 years. His accomplishments include the completion of Napa's flood control project, which protects thousands of properties from flooding, restored 900 acres of environmental wetlands, and produced $1 billion of investment in local businesses. Prior to his time in elected office, Senator Dodd was a successful small business owner. He owned and operated one of the largest full-service Culligan water operations in California and served as president of the Water Quality Industries State and National Trade Associations. Senator Dodd is a graduate of California State University, Chico. Senator Dodd and his wife, Mary, live in Napa and have five grown children and nine grandchildren. The Napa Valley Chamber of Commerce recognized the Dodd's philanthropic efforts by awarding Senator Dodd its 2014 Citizen of the Year for raising over $3 million for local charities. Senator, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Boy, what a pleasure to be with you today, Doctor. Well, we're really, we really appreciate your time. I know how busy you must be in the wake of everything that's happening related to this pandemic. So uh, thank you for taking the time out to speak with our audience and share your perspectives. Can we start by having you tell our audience a bit more about yourself, about your background, and your journey to becoming a state senator? 
Well, sure. Although that was one of the most complete bios I've I've ever heard. Uh, I you know one of the things I think that uh, you know I learned as a, a young man growing up was my parents you know pushing me to give back, give back. Whether it's you know in a trade association, the chamber of commerce, whether it's public service, just the power of people helping people. And you know what's really amazing is during the fires I saw this and now during this horrible COVID-19 pandemic, I'm seeing it everywhere. People helping people, reaching deep, uh, uh, you know, just selfless, help, you know, helping others. So uh, it's it's something that I uh, strove to do. And I'll tell you, it's, it's moving from a, a local, you know, county board of supervisors to the state legislature is a big jump. And a lot of work and time and everything went into that. But I'll tell you, I'm so grateful to the voters that elected me both in the assembly, to the assembly and the Senate to give me this opportunity to be able to serve. Well, you're absolutely right about seeing people helping one another. Um, it really helps restore faith in humanity and see everybody kind of working together and, and by and large doing the right thing. Um, would you like to tell our audience about any initiatives that you are currently backing or considering? You know, I I have really um, worked hard on the wildfire issues, trying to make sure that we have what we need in this state to reduce the fuels that cause these fires in the first place, whether they're human caused or utility caused, you know, whatever uh, we have you know, really uh, too much fuel in our forest. We need to do more about it. We have been able to get uh, billions of dollars invested in doing that over now in the next three years now again. So so my, my bill package, a, a lot of it is, uh, you know, along those lines where we, we developed uh, a statewide organization that does nothing now, uh, but during those red flag warnings, We'll go. We'll really look about where are all the threats, and in the in these computer systems, it's all machine learning. They know how the utilities have trimmed trimmed their trees. They know where they've done you know thinning of uh, a force, if you will, reducing fuels, and they know where they're not doing so well. And all that gets added to uh, PG&E's work, the utilities work, whether it's Northern California or Southern California, and then. Um, the wind speeds, because we have all these weather stations all throughout the state of California in our watersheds, and they measure the humidity, the wind speeds, the temperature, all factors under which, you know, they can understand where the greatest risks are and the greatest threats are to public safety and also to, uh, you know, to buildings and homes. And, you know, it's really phenomenal because in these it, you know, we didn't have this in 2017 when these North Bay fires broke out. But if they had, they would have already been on this, known and understood, uh, and pre-positioned assets. We put more money into firefighters and trucks, Black Hawk helicopters that can work at night putting out fires, and also a number of different, uh, uh, you know, big uh, bombers that we retired Air Force bombers that we were able to buy. Uh, to you know, spray retardant out. So now we can get on them early, and the best way of doing this is with more information. Absolutely, and I'm really pleased to hear that we're taking a proactive approach to this, and 
and taking the opportunity to learn from perhaps um, past mistakes or at least areas where um, the state could have handled things better in terms of preventing some of this. And, and I've had similar conversations with some of the guests on this podcast about this pandemic and what we can learn from it so that once we're beyond it, what we can do better in the future so that if it does happen again, we'll be more prepared to respond quickly and get on top of it and be able to test and be able to treat. And, you know, there's anytime you have a crisis, there's lots of opportunity to do things better the next time. So I'm glad to hear the state is working on that. Oh, by all means. Absolutely. Um, Senator, can you give us a sense of how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the economy in the areas that you serve? You know, one thing about this um, pandemic, I don't think it discriminates against any counties that, that I serve any more than other counties throughout the state. I guess you could say that there could be more people that are infected. You know, in my areas, I have, as you mentioned in the introduction, that I represent all our parts of six counties. And, you know, whether you have 34 infections or you have 284 infections, you know, we know that with community spread, the science tells us that that can multiply overnight. So it really takes, you know, again, you know, it's an overused term, a village. And that's what's happened here. Uh, we have to listen to our public health experts. We have listened to our public health experts. For the most part, we're staying home. We're flattening this curve. And um, for that, I really would like to thank my constituents because I think they saw the challenge. Look at it's not without consternation. As you well know, you know, families, schools shut. Normally that's their daycare during the day from, you know, from eight to three. And two working spouses, this is a big hardship. This is, but now, um, you know, particularly if you have two spouses that are essential workers, what do you do? So this has caused a lot of turmoil. Businesses that have totally uh, we're thriving on on March 15th, thriving on March 15th, are now shuttered or, you know, in the case of restaurants that we seem to have a lot of because of more of a tourist-based economy, you know, they're trying to do their best on, you know, takeout and delivery. It's, it's, it's been very tough, but probably no tougher than most counties that my colleagues represent here in the state. Yes, it's just slightly different challenges in, in different counties. And, and you're absolutely right how much of a stress this has been on working families. And, you know, as you said, it really was like a light switch being flipped on March 15th. It, it went from everything was humming along to essentially being temporarily shuttered. And, and we don't know how long that's going to be. Uh, as a state senator, you work to help small businesses. Can you tell us what is being done currently to support the small businesses in your area? And what advice do you have for the small business owners to help them weather this storm? Well, we've still, we've managed to maintain all, I've got four district offices at the Capitol office. And uh, we have one person at every office every day in our, in our office hours, which is eight to five. Uh, they're answering phone calls. Everybody else is uh, working from home. There's like staggered you know, shifts where they come in sometimes, but they're working from home and, uh, we're doing a lot of constituent work, a lot of work with small businesses, trying to get them the information on like uh, small business loans, SBA loans, and the information, the technical information they need to get through this. Because a lot of this is not easy. 
let me tell you, it's been very, very complicated. Uh, it was really, you know, something I think probably the federal government learned, even to the most part, the state government learned. Rolling these things out quickly um, is not easy. And I think we're getting better every single day. Uh, but a lot of people need help, and that's what we're here for. It, it's it's something that, uh, you know, just, you know, like asking that the waiting period that you normally have to have for unemployment insurance, that's out the window. We've got an extra $600 in state money, you know, to put in on the, for, you know, for applicants on this. So the money, the money's there, the money's going to continue to be there. And uh, we're going to continue to be here to help people with any of the questions that they may have to get them the help that they need. That's great. I can't imagine how many calls are coming into your office and, and I'm really glad to hear that you're there and your staff is there to help um, people with their various needs. Uh, as a state legislator, you've also worked to support seniors and, and working families. And these are two groups who are significantly affected by the pandemic because of the health risks posed to seniors and the economic impact seen by working families. What advice do you have for these two groups? Well, in the working families, you know, we talked a little bit about them because they're, you know, with school-aged children, that's a, you know, it's a big deal. And But it's also a big deal when you go from day, you know, from one day, and like you said, that switch goes off, now you're not getting a paycheck. And there's a lag between the time that you file for unemployment benefits and the time you get it. You know, it's going to be there uh, again uh, if you're waiting and you really feel like uh, th there's a problem or somebody's not getting back to you. Those are the type of things that my staff and I can help on. We can call in. We've got another number that can perhaps help and uh, you'll get you the help that uh, that you need. The senior facilities, you know, to me, this is... Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been one of those time bombs that we knew when this came out. That we, we certainly don't want this COVID to, you know, get into our senior centers, our rest homes and, and, and the like senior facilities. Uh, but darn it, it has in, in a lot of areas. And uh, every, it's all hands on deck in those areas. I represent Contra Costa County, uh, even in, in, in my district in Pleasant Hill. Uh, there's been one really significant overrun of seniors at a home. And of course, in Orinda, we've heard about more about those. But uh, nevertheless, it's happening little by little around uh, the state of California. And, and I just, my advice to uh, seniors that aren't in those homes, this is an example of why you need to shelter in place. And it's also an example of how we as citizens can help our friends that are senior citizens by checking in on them, uh, you know, to see, because maybe they don't have family here. We need to check in with them and say, hey, how are you doing? Can I get you anything? And and I'm seeing that happen, but uh, we need to uh, just get the word out to, you know, have people, and, and it's not just because they might need something, it might be they need another human being to talk to. Absolutely. It's, um, that's great advice. And, I, I think we've seen people do a really good job of trying to reach out and support one another. But sometimes, you know, when you have these social distancing measures in place, people aren't exactly sure how to do that. So, you know, that advice to just check on on people, even if they're once removed from from you, as you know, as a direct family member, can give them that that bit of emotional support that they need because 
I'm sure it's this is extra scary for them with what these tragic situations that we've seen in some of these senior centers. Um, so I'm sure the anxiety levels of, uh, amongst some of that population is just through the roof. Without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, this next question that I have for you is complex and, and leaders throughout the country are kind of grappling with this. But do you have thoughts about how and when to begin reopening the economy? It, this, this is a tough one. You use the analogy of flipping uh, off the switch. Science, science, science. science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. We cannot uh, flip it back on. The science tells us that uh, if we flip this switch on, you know, in two weeks without social distancing and some parameters, some guardrails that we could have spikes in our communities in very short order and be back to square one. That doesn't serve anybody well. But I think uh, now that we know that we've done a good job and that social distancing works and we continue with that and uh, we put a set of parameters around business. First of all, businesses that can show a plan, that they can social distance, and uh, they should be allowed, you know, once, whatever the timeline is, whether it's May 3rd, I don't know what the April 30th, whatever the, the date is, those businesses that, uh, you know, that certainly don't have a lot of foot traffic, don't have ever any more than 10 people in, and they have the space to social distance, I would say those would be businesses that would, you know, probably be the you know be the first to open, and I you know I think it's going to be. Let's go to the other extreme: our sporting events, uh, you know, our giants, our uh, warriors. You know, the hopes of the warriors finishing the season this year is, in my view, slim and none. Uh, now they may be able to do it without fans, and they may find a way to do that for TV and. You know, I would certainly support that, but I think our, the the bigger challenges are going to be to try to understand how we get that. What do you call it? Herd uh, herd immunity. Immunity. Herd immunity. Try to understand who has uh, the antibodies and get more and more testing out. The more and more testing that we can get out and get out quickly, uh, you know, obviously, the better we are, and the more we're going to be able to. Uh, open things up. So that's not really a comprehensive plan, but it's certainly, uh, you know, from my standpoint, if we follow public health and understand what they're talking about and do that carefully from there, I think it's a lot of just common sense. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be a matter of ensuring this public safety as we figure out which parts of the economy can get rebooted 
as we look into seeing who is immune and can be safely out in the workforce and then waiting on vaccines, because that's ultimately what we're going to need to really ensure widespread safety. So um, glad you're thinking about that and, and, and talking about it. Um, Senator, you've done work in the Senate around improving public education. What are your thoughts about how this pandemic is affecting students who are now out of school and at home? And what can be done to ensure that they're receiving the education that they deserve? Well, distance learning is a word that's not going to go away, uh, particularly when you have so many large schools. It's just really impractical to be able to um, you know, to make, you know, to make that happen. Now, it may be that, uh, and look at this, this really is something that, uh, you know, uh, our superintendent of public instruction, Tony Thurman, or any of our, uh, you know, county superintendents or district superintendents are going to be ultimately making this decision. But you might have, you know, slower learners, they're the ones that are coming in, but the faster learners are ones that could do distance learning better and more effectively. That's not, you know, I have not vetted that with anybody. I'm just, uh, you know, I've just been trying to think through how, you know, how this gets done. But being from California, um, I, I think we, we should be a leader in this area. We should be able to, you know, get this figured out. And I know that a lot of parents were concerned because the rollout of the distance learning was slow, was not real effective. We got to remember, teacher, just like I was first on Zoom, I think, on March 18th, and I had no idea what I was doing on that. Uh, today, uh, I'm pretty practiced on uh, Zoom, and uh, I can even hold my own meeting on, <laughs> on Zoom, which was uh, kind of forced me to get a, a little better education. And so I, I really think that it'll do nothing but get better. We're going to learn from our mistakes, as you said, kind of at the top of the show. It gives us that opportunity to learn more about the mistakes we made and and how we can do better. And I think this this whole thing about having the school shut down and being do, and doing the distance learning and having students basically not in schools has really shined a spotlight on the true value of teachers in our communities and in our societies and how hard they work and how challenging it must be to have a classroom of 30 or 35 students throughout the day and and I think it's kind of renewed an appreciation for teachers and and just the great work that they do. Oh, you're you're spot on on that. And you know, also we know because of this pandemic that our budget, we have a twenty billion dollar surplus. That's one of the things we've been able to do. Governor Brown uh, really was the architect of that. Uh, Governor Newsom has kept it up along with the legislature the whole way. That twenty billion is only going to go so far. Our revenues at the state of California are going to see a significant hit. The last time this happened was with the greatest recession since the depression that started, what, in 2007 or eight. And let me tell you, we cut education in the state of California. We cut them severely. Yeah, I wasn't there then, but we being the proverbial we as citizens through our legislature had to do that. With this $20 billion, we're going to make sure that education is backfilled. If there's no better example of why we can't cut it, it's we depend on these teachers for so many things. And when something goes wrong like this, here they are again, you know, doing the Lord's work in many respects. So that's going to be something that I'm going to be very circumspect on as we look at our budget and I'm taking budget votes 
I, you know, I just don't believe there should be one cut to education. Well, I'm very glad to hear you saying that, Senator. That's uh, heartening. Could you tell us um, what steps are being taken to ensure that vulnerable populations such as the homeless are receiving appropriate care and are able to to socially distance appropriately in the face of this pandemic? You know, m- many of them are in settings where there there's groups of them together and they're not able to adequately socially distance. So what are are your thoughts about what's being done to care for this population? Well, you know, as you may or may not know, and your listeners may or may not know, we have been on this for for some time. For the homeless advocates that have really been out there working tirelessly on this for over a decade, it's probably not fast enough. But uh, Governor Newsom has really put an exclamation point on homelessness as you know, one of his hallmarks that he wants to see, you know, I don't know that you can fix homelessness, but, but I think what you can do is reduce homelessness and you can offer services to everyone. Um, and I think the amount of money that the state's put into this over the last uh, you know, two years is certainly record breaking, but more needs to be done. As for uh, you know, what we've been doing during the pandemic is I think, you know, the, you know, there was a big breakout in a homeless shelter in San Francisco. They've moved people into, you know, into hotels and, and really throughout the state of California, the governor, I can't remember how many rooms they buy, but some, something on the order, maybe four to 6,000 could be more. But let me tell you, when you have over a hundred thousand homeless in the state of California, that becomes a real vexing situation. You don't get there overnight. So little by little, what they're doing is in shelters in, you know, for example, where I live here in Napa County, uh, they're separating, requiring social distancing, trying to get that, you know, across to, uh, you know, that clientele and, you know, trying to make sure that uh, they're adequately fed because, you know, malnutrition, all these things, they, they are really at, at risk category, regardless of their age, because of their socioeconomic situation, plus the the fact that they you know, are not able to uh, eat very healthy. And that's another thing that they're trying to do. So it's shelter and it's food, sustenance and uh, support. And in the end, what we have to do is, particularly now, is as so many people are unemployed, we have to have programs in place, which we do. So when people get to the point they think that they're going to go homeless, they should be contacting uh, their county social services because they have programs to help maybe get you the money, you know, for a month's rent to maybe tide you over till this thing passes. And so I, I know we have, uh, you know, no eviction notices, but it's only a matter of time. And I just think that creating a situation where people don't become helplessness beyond. You know, nobody wants to be homeless. You know, just three weeks ago, had a job and everything was fine. So we, we got we really got to work hard on that program. Absolutely, and and to those needed services that that you mentioned around, you know, housing and and food security. I would also add need for mental health services and um, treatment for substance use disorders because both of those have very significant prevalence amongst the the presently homeless um, or unsheltered population, right? Absolutely. And, you know, so so that's what they're for that population. But let's face it, 
I think Kaiser is doing a great job in really getting more and more mental health services out there. But as a society, you know, when you need a checkup from the neck up, uh, you know, it's not so easy. And we all, particularly during these times, you know, there, there's a lot of people that could use some mental health conversations uh, to help them get through these things. So it's uh, something that we're, our society's got to adapt to, and that's got to be a primary objective uh, for the state of California and all states going forward. Yes, and we've actually had some interesting conversations on previous episodes of this podcast with mental health professionals about the effect of this pandemic on anxiety disorders and depression and people feeling, you know, with social distancing, being socially isolated and how that can affect one's mental health and talking about how this might affect children in the long term. And so, yeah, some really interesting things going on. And you're absolutely right. We need more mental health services as a whole in our societies. So um, definitely something that nationwide we need to be working on. Yeah, let's do that. Right. Without stigma. I mean, listen, the brain is an organ. It's a body part. It's like a knee or a shoulder or, you know, a heart or it's a part of our body. And, you know, this idea that there's some stigma attached to uh, mental health is an age old problem that just needs to go away. Yes. And I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And I would take it one step further. And, you know, in addition to being its own organ, the mind has effects on one's physical health too. We know very clearly that it can have effects on, on your heart and on your metabolism and, you know, risk for diabetes and all kinds of other things. So it really should be one of the primary things that we're trying to help people get squared away. Absolutely. Senator, what, what is your advice about how people can support one another and their communities during this very difficult time? Well, we talked a little bit about it before. I think calling uh, senior citizens, calling friends that, you know, maybe are living alone and they're out of a job and uh, you haven't seen them a while. Or if you just think of somebody, whether they're family, friends, or somebody that's just removed, a coworker, or somebody you remember from, from church or, uh, you know, from your childhood that you haven't heard from a while. I think this is just something that we absolutely have to be uh, doing to make sure that nobody's left behind and somebody that has some issues can get the help that they need or just that conversation uh, that they need would be a really big thing. Great. As we wind down this interview, Senator, is there are there any messages that you want to get out there or any topics that you wanted to cover that I didn't ask you about? You know, just the fact that we, you know, we've, we're kind of inundated uh, in the press every single day that press conferences, regardless if it's our president, our governor, uh, all these different, uh, you know, uh, social media posts and everything on this issue. I think people need to pat themselves on the back for doing a good job. This has been tough. This has been tough. We're coming up really for the most part on a month here. And to do what our society has done, flattening that curve, seeing that, you know, we, the whole Bay Area got like an A grade on the social distancing, uh, you know, last week, the last two weeks, I guess. And, uh, you know, we can't let down on that. And that's, you know, at at the risk of sounding like a, a broken record with everybody else that's talking to people, we can't stress it enough. We can't be back here. We've got to put ourselves in a trajectory that we're getting better all the time 
and, and, and not back off. So I want to thank everybody for doing the amazing job that they've done. And let's keep doing it for the next two weeks. Let's listen to the science. If this science and the experts suggest we need to do it for another two weeks, let's do it. But that's the only way that we're going to get back to normalcy uh, anytime soon. That's great messaging, and I completely agree with you. Our state of California has largely avoided any major surge and has really flattened the curve. And seeing that we've seen the doubling time of the number of infections spread out and spread out, which is a, a really good thing. And all of these mitigation strategies have helped us avoid some of the disasters that we've seen in New York and Detroit and New Orleans and Seattle and and you're right. At this point, it's a matter of continuing to do what we do. We're in a kind of a maintenance phase with regard to social distancing, and we just have to continue it until we can figure out how to get people safely back out into into society and into their work environments. Yeah. One other thing, I would really be remiss if I didn't mention all the medical professionals from all walks of life. Anybody that's been, you know, a doctor is a doctor, a nurse coming you know, full active, uh, switching what they're doing over a night, people that have come out of retirement and getting back into that field. Without these people, uh, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. So I really want to thank you and your, you know, all your extended uh, colleagues throughout the medical professions. Well, thank you for saying that. And I would just personally add on and say, and to the respiratory therapists and uh, laboratory technicians and pharmacists and janitors and environmental service workers and the people who work in the cafeterias and hospitals and security guards and, you know, some of those people who don't always get recognized, but are all vitally important parts of, of how medical centers function. And we really couldn't continue to do the work that we're doing without all of their support. And so I want to give them a, a, a clap of the hands and, and a recognition as well. Amen to that. Um, Senator, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts on all of this and and give your perspective. And really, it's we know how busy you must be in running multiple offices and trying to support the communities that you serve. So thank you for joining us on this podcast and for providing this information for our audience. Doctor, thank you so very much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Stay safe out there, okay, Senator? You too. Take care. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.